Join me in the book of Exodus. We're in Exodus chapter 2, and we will finish out that chapter today. Our theme, excuse me, our theme is Jehovah unveiled. God had revealed himself to Abraham centuries earlier. What the people of Israel knew of their God up to this point was simply what was handed down from generation to generation. So now in the book of Exodus, God is progressively revealing more and more about himself to his own people. Our theme verses are Exodus 6, 6 and 7. I invite you to say them along with me. Exodus 6, 6 and 7. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Notice the I wills of those verses. In fact, when we get to chapter 6, and look at the the greater passage, the larger passage, we're going to see seven I wills that God declares to his people. I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egypt. I will deliver you from slavery. I will redeem you. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. I will bring you into the land, and I will give you possession of that land. Seven promises of redemption that God makes to the Israelites And did you notice how much of that depended on the Israelites? It's all God saying, I am going to do this. It's all of God. In fact, the book of Exodus, by title, refers to the exit. That's where we get the term Exodus. Uh, By title, it refers to the exit. And so you might think that the exit from Egypt is the main point of the book. But as we're already seeing in the text, God himself is the main character of the book of Exodus. God is the main actor. He is the one doing all of the real action. God is the one whom we are learning the most about throughout this whole book. Hence the title of our series, Jehovah Unveiled. Our text this morning is Exodus chapter 2, beginning in verse 23. In today's passage, the speed of the narrative is now slowing down. In chapter 1, centuries pass uh, between the first few verses till we get to the end of the chapter. In chapter 2, 40 years pass from about verse 1 to around halfway through the chapter. And another 40 years pass before we get to start chapter 3. So with today's closing verses of chapter 2, we have a summary statement that concludes the, these two chapters worth of setting the stage. The real action is about to start. So the setting has been thoroughly explained, and to put bluntly, it's bad. It is bleak. It is not going to be good. So let's read today's text. Exodus chapter 2, beginning verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, 
and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Let's pray. Father, thank you that, uh, that our pains never go unnoticed, that you always know everything about everything that's going on in our lives. Father, help us to turn to you as we see the people of Israel doing in this passage, as they groan, as they cry out to you for help. Lord, we ask that you would be honored in our hearts today as we hear your word, as we process it and, 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 and learn about how we're to respond to it this morning so we might glorify you in our thoughts, words, and deeds as we leave this place in Jesus' name. Amen. Our big idea this morning is God knows your situation. God knows your situation and he is walking, he's walking, he's acting on your behalf even when you don't see it. God knows your situation and he's acting on your behalf. Isaiah wrote of the divine determination in Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9. We read these words, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We're seeing that truth being played out in the book of Exodus. How God has a grander plan in mind. Life has been lousy for the Israelites. They were forced into being laborers for Pharaoh, being slaves. And it had gotten worse. Pharaoh attempted to limit their population by commanding that all the boys be put to death. By the way, we don't know how long that edict was in effect. We have no idea. But as bad as life was, uh, it kept getting worse as Pharaoh continued to increase the work. You know, if you or I were calling the shots, uh, how long would we let Pharaoh go on like this? How long would we continue to let the bad guy be bad? I dare say that we, in our limited wisdom, would have stopped him long ago. But God has a higher purpose. He has a higher purpose in mind than the comfort of his people. That's sometimes hard for us to fathom, isn't it? He has greater purposes in mind than the comfort of his people. So what we see in our passage today is Israel cries. In verse 23, during the many days the king of Egypt died. The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. God could have stopped the struggle of Israel at any time. At any time, he could have stopped it. He didn't have to let it continue. But again, God has a higher purpose in mind 
than the comfort of his people. It's true for the Israelites. It's true for you and me. He has a higher purpose than our comfort. He is far less concerned for your comfort and your safety as he is for your holiness. He wants you to be holy. In fact, commanded throughout Scripture, be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. That's a very high standard. He doesn't say be holy at least as much as your Christian friend. Or or be holy and at least be better than your sinful neighbor. No, he says be holy like God is holy. He's more concerned about our holiness than our comfort. He He cares more about our obedience than he does our comfort and safety. He cares far less for your success in your job or in your business as he does care about your dependence on him. By the way, if your job or business is just going gangbusters, it's kind of hard to trust God, isn't it? Because everything's going fine. He wants us to depend on him. God is driving his people to pray. He cares less, far less about our conveniences in life and cares far more about our prayer life. So from Exodus chapter 1 all the way through the crossing of the Red Sea in chapter 14, the antagonist, the bad guy of the story, is the king of Egypt, a.k.a. Pharaoh. And yet not once is he named. We can surmise by the passage of time that the Pharaoh of chapter 1 is certainly not the same Pharaoh at the time of the plagues. For many, many years had passed in between. In fact, the first mention of Pharaoh in chapter 1, verse 8, the one who enslaved the Israelites, it's doubtful that he's the same Pharaoh of verse 15 who enlists the midwives to kill the newborn boys. So there are at least three different Pharaohs in the book of Exodus, yet none of them are named. Why? Well, if their names were important to the story that God wanted us to know, then we would know their names. But we don't. The time frame of verse 23, says, during those many days, refers to the time that Moses spent in the land of Midian. He was raising sheep. He was raising a family. He was just simply living life out from under Pharaoh's influence. It's important that we understand this was 40 years. This is a a long period of time that he's developed this life. It was 40 seasons of the year. 40 different cycles of the seasons, so 160 seasons if you want to count them all, that he was living in the land of Midian, just just living. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And yet the change of government did not translate to relief for the oppressed Hebrew people. I don't know if any of you know this specifically, but it is currently 498 days until the next national election. According to a calculator I I found online. I I didn't calculate that myself. At that election, all members of the House of Representatives are up for election. One third of our senators, our U.S. senators, are up for election. 100% of our presidents are up for election. Following that election, we will have a new government, and that government will be seated at various points in the month of January. It may be better. It may be worse. 
it could be exceptionally worse. We just don't know. We as believers in Jesus do not put our hope in government. Should we be involved trying to make it better? Absolutely, but our hope is not in government. As the evil edicts and the oppressive slavery increased, perhaps some hoped that when this Pharaoh finally dies, when this Pharaoh is replaced, perhaps it will be better. It was not. A change in government did not result in relief for the Hebrew slaves. Do you remember how the Hebrew people came to be in Egypt in the first place? It was not because Egypt conquered them. That never happened. It was not because traders had captured these 70 individuals that first uh, made it into Egypt and then sold them into slavery. Yes, Joseph was sold into slavery. That's a long story. The reality is when the bulk of the family of Jacob came into the land of Egypt, Egypt was their rescue. Egypt was their salvation. They were in the midst of a seven-year famine. Actually, they're only about two or three years into this seven-year famine when Jacob's family moved to Egypt. Egypt was the epitome of wealth and plenty, of delicious food and all the resources needed for their livelihood. Israel moved to Egypt because it meant a better life. It meant life itself. There was no food to be had in their own land. But Egypt had become the very essence of bondage, pain, and distress. The king of Egypt died. The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry came to God for rescue from their slavery. The people knew of God through their oral traditions that had been passed down through the centuries, and their taking what they know of God and they're using it, they're praying. Israel cries. God hears, verse 24, and God heard their groaning. It can be very distracting to our moral sensibilities to read of the slavery and struggles of of these people. They were in trouble. God knew that they were in trouble. Why did he not intervene sooner? Why let it get so bad? Here's what we need to understand. The Exodus didn't come about simply because life got bad for God's people. God initiated the Exodus because God's people finally were praying. I'm not suggesting that for hundreds of years no one was praying, but the the chorus of prayer grew and grew as the pressures became greater and greater. It was only the result of the it was only because of the prayer of lament from the people that God then acted. He waited for their cries. Could he have? rescued them at any point prior to that? Yes, he could have. It's the lament, the prayers of despair and distress that God responded to. This is God's pattern. He waits for us to call out to him, to really call out to him. 
Matthew 6, 31 through 33. Jesus speaking says this, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask. Of course he does. You cannot be omniscient and not know. God knows. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows your distress. He knows your loss. He knows the need. Yet he waits to provide because he wants us to ask. He wants us to really, really ask. We need to pray. We need to be people of prayer because God hears. You know, we tend to pray more intently based on how intense our struggle becomes. That's what's happening to Israel. Prayers for health of a loved one turn into cries for their very life when that loved one has a heart attack, right? Pray and pray and pray for their health. But then all of a sudden the serious situation happens and we pray more intently. It was the same general theme of prayer, right? Health. But one prayer has an intensity and fervency that lacked prior. Why? Because the situation got more grave. Israel cries, God hears. The second part of verse 24, God remembers. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Again, God is omniscient, meaning he knows all things. Omni, all. Shent is knowledge or science. God knows all things. So does he forget his covenant with Abraham? No, of course not. He did not ever forget his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the scripture here in saying that God remembered his covenant is in no way implying that God somehow forgot. Okay, When we interpret scripture, we always keep in mind context. And the context of the character of God, of the essence of who God is, means that he cannot forget. In saying that God remembered does not mean he forgot. Now, we use the term remember the same way. If you go and buy your spouse a present before his or her birthday, it's because you remembered and did not forget. But if you find yourself frantically shopping the last minute and you end up having to go to the gas station and get something lousy, it's because you forgot, right? We're talking about God. God does not forget. When we read in the Old Testament that God remembered his promise, Scripture means to tell us that God is either renewing his promise or that he is about to fulfill his promise. When Scripture says, and God remembered his promise, and oftentimes it's talking about the promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. He's remembering it in the sense of, I'm going to make this happen. I'm, I'm reminding you that I've made this promise and I'm going to make it happen. The Hebrew verb here translated as remembered is, is an idiom. It's a figure of speech that implies application 
more than it implies recollection. So uh, God is going to apply the promise. He has remembered. So Israel is crying out to God. God hears their cries. He remembers his promise. Then we see that God acts. Verse 25, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. The best understanding of the original Hebrew text of this verse would be something like this. God looked on them and made himself known to them. And then if you glance ahead into chapter 3, we have God, the, the story of how God revealed himself to his people, starting with Moses. Now I recognize that saying that, uh, that this verse ought to read that God looked on them and made himself known to them sounds significantly different than what the text that we all have in front of us. One of my ongoing goals as your pastor is to make sure you understand enough grammar to, to better understand scripture. And, and here's the principle of grammar that we need to remember today. Words always have a range of meaning. meaning. Okay, maybe not always. I remember quite distinctly a professor saying the word all means all, and that's all all means. And if you look it up, guess what? That is actually correct. But most words have a range of meaning rather than just one singular, unchangeable meaning. That's why if you open up a dictionary, you'll often have a a, a list of different meanings that a word can have. The word know in this passage has a range of meanings. And the way we use the word know has a range of meanings also. Uh, We could say that, I I know something as in I'm an expert at this. I know everything about it. Or you could say, yeah, I know this, but it's really only a partial knowledge, uh, someone who's just familiar with the subject. The the Hebrew word for know, or in this case, the past tense, knew, has three definitions. The one is to know, to notice, to hear of, to learn. The second is to reveal, be, or become known. And the third definition is to realize. So the question is, what did Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as he's writing these words, what did Moses intend for us to understand with this verse? God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Did Moses try to communicate that God realized that the Israelites were in trouble? That would be definition number three. Or did Moses intend for us to think God learned of the trouble of Israelites as as though he didn't already know, which is part of definition one? Or did Moses intend for us to understand that God was making himself known, that second definition? Again, look at the next few verses. As God, God appears to Moses in the burning bush, making himself known. If Moses wanted to tell us specifically that God knew the troubles of Israel or or God knew what he was going to do, he had other available, more specific words to use that he could have used in, in place of this particular The word he chose makes for a perfect transition as the stage has been set for God to act on behalf of his people. So yes, he knew Israel's pains and groanings. He knew Egypt's atrocities to them. 
But God in the very next paragraph will become known. He will be revealed to his chosen leader Moses who will stand as as the vessel of God who will deliver his people. God knows your situation. And he is acting on your behalf even when you don't see it. Whatever you're going through. Whether it's good or bad, whatever you're going through, he knows your situation. Every circumstance you find yourself in is, a, is God setting the stage for you to become a better follower of him. Every situation you find yourself in is God preparing you to be a better follower of him. Not a, not a comfortable, not a more comfortable follower or a more pain-free follower. It's not that, we, not, that, not that it's wrong to pursue not having pain. That's not his goal. He wants us to be a more faithful follower. God's desire is for you to know him better. His desire is for you to love this world less and love him more. So pray. Keep praying. And when those circumstances arise, whether it's uh, a, a health issue or uh, the loss of a loved one or whatever, whatever disaster is happening at work or in your personal life, what, whatever struggle comes, when you already have that prayer life, when you're already in the practice of praying, that makes praying for those more intense situations a more natural response, right? So when you pray, ask for relief. That's what the Israelites have done here. But also ask for growth. Ask that God will change you, even if he doesn't change your circumstances. Ask for God to be glorified in your pain. That's also what's happening here. God gets all the glory for all eternity as to how he rescued the Israelites. So pray. Ask for relief. Give him the glory. God knows what you're going through. And God knows what he's doing. Okay, nothing is, has snuck into your life that surprised him. He knows what you're going through. He knows what he's doing. <clears throat> And God is making himself known to you through your struggle. That's his desire. So that you will know him more. Let's pray. Lord, life is hard. Some seasons are more difficult than others, but life just in general is hard. We recognize all throughout Scripture and even from our own experience that, that we grow most in these hard times. And we grow in, in, in far more effective ways when life is hard than when life is easy. And we, we, don't, we don't like the struggle. We don't look forward to the next difficulty that is coming down the road. But Lord, help us to not despise the struggle, but help us instead to turn to you. Help us instead to trust you. The Israelites, with their understanding of God, albeit limited, 
the Israelites in their times of great oppression turned in mass to you in prayer, crying out with their pains and their groanings. You heard, you responded, and you're glorified forever for your response. Lord, help us to not wait to cry out to you. I pray that you would help us to develop our prayer lives so that when struggles do arise, that we're already praying and we just go deeper into that prayer life. Lord, help us to trust you through the pain. Help us to cry out to you so that you will be glorified in us. So Lord, thank you for your word. Use it in our hearts today, throughout this week, in Jesus' name.